0: Been a year or two years since you had a loss, and you're still in that morning booth. We can choose to do two things when we experience a loss. We can choose to dismiss the loss, downplay it, minimize it, and say, I'm not sitting in any morning booth. I'm moving on with life. I don't have time for a morning booth, and it's too painful. Or we can embrace that experience. We can sit there in that morning booth and let God sit with us. And let God speak to us. And let God minister to us and and change us. That's the question. Are you going to remain in that morning booth? Or are you going to run? Well, this morning we're going to be talking about Jesus can reassure you in your loss. And our book, <clears throat> Emotional and Healthy Spirituality, the title for the chapter is Enlarge Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. Enlarge your soul. You see, we all have a soul and we have a certain capacity. To understand and appreciate God. And if you spend time in that morning booth, if you really process that pain with God, your capacity is going to grow. You're going to experience more of who God is. You're going to understand the depth of his love and his mercy and his grace. But if you run from the morning booth, it's going to shrink you're not going to fully be able to appreciate who God is because really that's the essence of life, knowing God, knowing him fully. So we want to stay in that morning booth and grow. This is all part of our emotionally healthy spirituality church wide initiative, the curriculum that Peter Schizero put together that helps us to understand the Word of God in a new way as we reflect and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. I'm teaching His curriculum and our small groups and the book. Uh, I always encourage you to read the chapter before you come. So how many read chapter 7 this week? All right. Well, again, read it before you come and then read it this afternoon because this is deep material. This is not stuff you just kind of you know, fly over. This is something that you need to really let sink into you. The scriptures that are part of this and to really let God speak to you in a very powerful way. It's a very slow process. I know maybe some of you have been frustrated because you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and it's getting more painful. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's the way it is. And you want fast growth. But any really true, lasting, significant growth in our lives comes through patience. Waiting on God, listening to Him, and hearing Him. This is the pathway we've been talking about. Uh, We start out with knowing yourself, that you may know God. Going back in order to go forward. Journey through the wall. Today, enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Next week, we're going to talk about reducing stress in your life. So you want to be sure to be here. Uh, discover the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath. Grow into an emotionally mature adult and go to the next step to develop a rule of life. And my desire for you is that as we study the Word of God and the way that we're kind of framing it up here, the idea of going through walls, sitting in morning booths, really just spending Deep time with God, that's what we're talking about, is developing intimacy with God. That This would be a springboard. This is not something that's going to transform your life in nine weeks. But if you really embrace getting to know God through silence and solitude and reflection upon the Scripture, if you really say, "Okay, because of this series and how God has spoken to me, I'm going to do life in a different way. It will revolutionize your life, no matter what might happen. So I'm really excited. In fact, I got an email from uh, a family, uh, a couple, and this is in response to last week's emphasis of, of the wall. Uh, they say, It is the answer to all our prayers. At 49 years, we have hit most of life's roadblocks and been through a wall or two. But this study at this time in our life is taking us on an amazing journey through the wall, desperately wanting that passionate and direct relationship with God, so that we might be valuable servants among believers, both our family and our Springbrook family. God is doing a new work in their life. And I pray that uh, He will be doing a new work in your life. And I encourage you uh, to send me how God is working in your life. Send me an email. And just please let me know how God is working so that I can uh, understand... (coughs) what God is doing in our midst, and I can, again, celebrate uh, what He's doing. There's all kinds of losses in life. In fact, uh, I just got news from Val Searles that uh, Jeff and Tabitha have a son, Gavin, who was born at 1044. 1044. Praise God, huh? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, My wife is down here asking me all the details, and hey, I just saw a picture. (laughs) We know how that is, guys, right? A kid was born, I'm not sure about, you know. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we celebrate with them, be praying for them as they start their new adventure as a family together. But Gavin just went through a loss in his life. After nine months, he went through a very significant loss. Uh, he was in and around there swimming, have a good time, you know, no worries, no problems. And all of a sudden he's squeezed through that birth canal and all <laughs> like, what's going on here? Who turned on the lights? <laughs> no wonder they come out crying, right? Uh, they're upset. <laughs> you, you changed my world. That's, that's the first loss. And then as we go throughout life, we just continue uh, to lose things. I go to visit my dad and thank you for your prayers for him. Uh, he's remaining healthy. But I, I talked to one of his old roommates, Ted, and Ted is a, a very dignified looking person, but also struggles with dementia. And so he's always very you know, friendly when I meet him and always, you know, meeting me for the first time. And uh, so we talk and interchange and uh, discuss uh, what's going on. And, uh, but, you know, as I have gotten to know Ted, you know, I know that he was a very successful businessman in Barrington, and he's lost so much. He's lost his experience in his business. He's lost his mental health, which again means he can't fully appreciate the people that do love him, who come to see him, who I've met. He can't fully appreciate anything that's really happened in life. Uh, We're going to lose everything, friends, in this life. Everything that's meaningful to us right now, we are going to lose. Now, you can choose to dismiss that and just deny it and try to get around it. Or you can choose to embrace loss and grow closer to God. And in that, in that process, you're going to know God so well. No matter how many God, years God gives you, you're going to know him so well because you've chosen to embrace him. We're going to look at a very well-known passage, the passage of Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26 verse 36. I always want to encourage you to bring your Bibles as we study the word of God together. The context of this passage is that Jesus Christ has just been with his disciples In the upper room, celebrating the Last Supper, Judas has now gone out, and he's going to bring the soldiers to arrest Christ. And they are going to Gethsemane, which was a garden on the Mount of Olives, one of their favorite places where many times they would sleep overnight. And this, though, is a different type of visit. This is going to be a very painful visit for them. Let me read through the passage, and then we'll go through and learn together. Uh, verse 36, And Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to him, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going, little father, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's go back to verse 36. Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane and He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. When you are working through a loss in your life, the most critical thing you need to do is to pray. You need to go to God and pray. Because when you go through a loss, you go through it on your own. You can't go through the loss with somebody else, because everybody grieves differently, and plus it's a very personal thing. It's all about your interior self and the loss that you're experiencing. So even if you and your wife have lost a child, that's a very different journey for for both of you. Now it's very important to have the support and encouragement and love of friends. That's why he brings his disciples and Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, those who he was closest to. They came even further, but they were a stone's throw away. This is found in all four Gospels. So one tells us they were a stone's throw away, which is like 20 to 30 feet. So he had to be alone with God. You have to be alone with God in the morning booth. It can't be a big group there. Right? You've got to be alone with Him in order that He might do the interior work that He needs to do. But it's so important that we support, pray, and minister to those people who are going through that difficult transition of their grief. Well, we look on in verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed and sorrow to the point, sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, we've read this passage many times as Christians. But when you really think about it, he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Sorrow means deep sadness. It means depression. The word that Mark uses means horror. Jesus Christ was emotionally overwhelmed at this time. He was overcome. And so, don't think that sadness and depression are sinful. Sometimes they can be related to sinful things and there's other manifestations, but they're normal emotions that we all experience as we go throughout life because Jesus Christ experienced them as we see here. Have you ever felt that way? Jesus Christ basically is saying... I feel so bad, I feel like I'm going to die. The burdens that I'm bearing right now, the weight that is on my soul, I don't know if I can go on. He says to the point of death, and I know many of you have been there, you've lost a loved one, a divorce, an accident. Where It's just too much. I can't go on here. Well, Jesus Christ has experienced that. He knows what that's like because He was one of us. He was an emotional human being. In verse 39, going a little farther, He fell with His face to the ground and prayed. So He laid out prostrate. When a person typically lays out prostrate, it's like they have no more energy left. They're empty, and they're just kind of hanging on to God. And that's truly where Jesus Christ is here. All he can do is lay before God and present what's going on in his life. He's really in his morning booth. Jesus Christ is in his morning booth because he knows what he has to face. And it's not going to be easy. In fact, we see the extent of his distress in Luke twenty-two forty-four. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Medical doctors say that you can sweat blood because you have a lot of capillaries that are very near the surface of the skin. And if the stress is so intense, they can start to burst, and you can actually start to sweat blood. And that's where Christ was. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What is Christ saying here? What's this cup? Well, this cup is the cup of God's wrath that Jesus Christ is going to have to drink on the cross, metaphorically. The cup of God's wrath. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth, right? In order to give His life. In order to experience the judgment and the punishment that we deserve. And so many times we focus on Jesus' physical sufferings. And certainly that's understood. He suffered greatly. And nobody wants to experience pain, so I'm sure that was part of this. But... A lot of people have been persecuted and killed for their faith in Christ. Well, what's different about Jesus? Well, the difference is is that He's going to have to bear the sins of the world. What God was going to do on the cross is He was going to pour into Jesus Christ, who had never experienced sin, never committed a sin, never felt the judgment of sin. The spotless Lamb of God... He was going to pour into Him all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. I mean, you just take the Holocaust alone. All the evil that was seen just in the Holocaust. And that was poured on Jesus Christ. As well as every genocide, every war, every rape, every murder, every sexual molestation every type of abuse. Jesus Christ was going to experience that because He was suffering for us. He was experiencing God's wrath so we would not have to experience His wrath. And then ultimately, because of all this sin that was poured upon Christ, God was going to turn His face away and, Jesus Christ knew that. And they had been, of course, one since the beginning, since eternity past. God has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they were going to be separated. So what Jesus Christ was so torn up about is the fact that He was going to have all this sin poured on Him, and most importantly, that God was going to forsake Him. And it was just too much at this particular point. It all kind of kicked in. I mean, he knew that it was going to happen. And he knew that this is why he'd come to earth. I don't know when God revealed that to him. He probably didn't know that when he was one year old, right? But over time, he learned that. But now they were going to come and arrest him. Now the the process was going to begin the journey to the cross. and, And he's saying to God, I don't want to go. That's what Jesus Christ is saying to God. I do not want to do this. Because He had a human will. He had emotions and He didn't want to do it. Now, at the same time, obviously, He said, if it's possible, if there's any other way we can do this, God. I'm really getting, you know, <laughs> very upset here and realizing that I it's just around the corner here and if there's any other way that we could save mankind, can we do something else? I don't know exactly what else was going on in his mind, obviously, but again, he did not want to do it. And it's not just like he uh, he was thinking about it and you know got close to the time when he was going to be arrested, and he's saying, well. It's not going to be that pleasant. So let me just do one more check-in with God. Let me just you know, ask God, God, can we just think through this one more time before I have to do it? Oh, okay, I understand. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> no, no. No, he was wrestling with God. Three different times he asked the same question. The second time we see in Matthew 26, 42, he went away a second time and prayed, My Father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then again in Matthew twenty six forty three, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. The disciples were supposed to be praying for him and uh, they, were, they were out of it. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He loved us. He wanted to sacrifice His life for us. But His humanity, His human will, was saying, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to face that type of spiritual pain, that separation from God. But God, I'm going to submit to Your will. He was really tempted in this way. Because He could have done His own thing. He could have walked away. But He didn't. He obeyed the Lord. And it's so important for us to understand that we believe that Jesus Christ had a human will because in the church, as it developed its doctrine and studied the Word of God around the 5th or 6th century and even before that, people didn't want to believe that Jesus Christ had a human will. That was just too much for them to fathom. Because God couldn't be like man. They kind of thought, well, maybe it's like Jesus Christ had a spacesuit on. They didn't like this, but this is kind of the idea. And at the core, he was God. But the spacesuit was his humanity. But it wasn't full humanity. It was just a partial humanity. But no, no, he was fully human and he was fully God. We can't reconcile that. But that's the way it was. There was a man named Maximus who lived in Istanbul in 580 B.C. And he was a civil servant. He was in politics. And the Lord led him into ministry. Uh, He was uh, a monk. And he did a lot of writing. and, And he was just so convicted about this that Jesus Christ had a human will, and that's not what the church was teaching at that time. So he created uh, quite a controversy. In fact, they brought him in to trial. And they exiled him because he was teaching this. But he continued to teach it. So they brought him in again and charged him with heresy. And they were so against this idea of Jesus Christ having a human will Truly being fully human, they cut out his tongue so he could no longer speak about it. And they amputated his hands in order that he might no longer write about it. So friends, when we say that Jesus Christ was fully human, people paid a dear price to stand by the truth in order that we might fully understand who Jesus Christ was and when we fully accept and realize that He was fully human, this is what helps us so much in our emotional health. As we've talked about during this series, we need to be emotionally healthy to be spiritually healthy. They're intertwined. And understanding that Jesus Christ was fully human and had a human will meant that He was emotional. He had an emotional life, which, of course, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so many times we struggle in our emotional lives. There's so much pain and confusion and life doesn't go the way it's supposed to. And we know that Jesus had emotions and he felt frustration and he felt pain. I don't know about you, but sometimes I would, I don't know, I'd like Jesus Christ to be a super superhero God. <laughs> I mean, if I were to write the Garden of Gethsemane scene, in fact, many people uh, early on there, they wanted to get rid of that passage because it didn't square with a strong God, but it was in all four Gospels. What are you going to do, you know? And so <laughs> I can imagine Jesus Christ coming in to the Garden and saying, OK, guys, all right, this is go time. Now, I know you guys still don't believe I'm going to the cross, but you better believe it because it's going to happen and you're going to see it in a day. So, now is a time when we all need to pull together. Everybody needs to understand what's going down. They're going to come and arrest me, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, but I don't want you guys to freak out or anything like that. Okay, I I want you to be strong because we're a team, and, and, and I'm coming back. Alright, I'm coming back. So you just wait for that time. Alright? Everybody get in the huddle? Hands in, right? Let's go. And that's the kind of God we like, right? Somebody who's in control, somebody knows what's going on, can lead us. And here we have Jesus Christ laid out in the garden, crying. <laughs> I mean Well, he was like you and me. Or oh, you think about when he went to the the uh, tomb of Lazarus, his good, good friend, Mary and Martha, also very good friends uh, sisters. And, and he had been told about the fact that Lazarus was sick, but he even delayed going in order that Lazarus would die, in order that he might do a miracle to fulfill his purpose through this situation. So he knew what was going down. So I can imagine him coming in and said, hey, everybody, would you be quiet? Stop crying. Everybody, stop crying. Stop yelling. Everything's going to be okay. I'm here. i tell you what's going to go down. We're going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Isn't that great? And everybody cheers. Yay, Jesus is here. He's going to solve all the problems. You know, that's that's a superhero God we want. Now, Now, what does He do? Well, He shows up in verse 33 of John 11. He says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping talking about Mary here and her friends he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled he was an emotional person and he he just felt the pain the pain vibes coming from these other people and it created pain in his life verse 34 where have you laid him he asked come and see lord they replied And Jesus wept. He was going to raise him from the dead. What was he crying for? Because he was human and and his friend had died because of this sickness. Jesus is like you and me. Or how about Jerusalem? (laughs) You know, the Jews rejected their Messiah, and Jesus Christ could have said, All right, team, we're going to a different country. This country is no longer worthy of me. Uh, we're going to be a king uh, someplace else. Or we're going to rule someplace else. But when he comes to Jerusalem, and verse forty-one, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. They were his chosen people. He had come, and he was ready to be accepted, and as their king, but they rejected Him. And He wept because He loved them so much. Or how about the crucifixion? You see Jesus Christ in the cross and people mocking Him and spitting on Him, being so cruel to Him. And I can imagine Jesus Christ, the superhero God, up there saying, All right, you guys. all right, I know you think you are victorious, but oh, you wait. You don't know what's happening here. I am saving mankind. And I'm going to die here. But I tell you what three words I'll be back. Okay? I'll be back. (laughs) What does Jesus do? Verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the point that he was... That, that's the thing he didn't want to happen. He didn't want God to forsake him. And at that point it happened. And that's why it was so painful. And so we see... Our God, Jesus Christ, experiencing this tremendous emotional pain. Just like we experience tremendous emotional pain. And these insights, when I look at Hebrews 4.15, which I've read hundreds of times, it just makes it so much more rich. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses... But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We have a God who's walked in our shoes. No other major religion can claim that. So when I'm sitting in my morning booth and God takes a seat, I can tell him what's going on in my heart. And all the feelings I'm experiencing. And he can truly empathize with me because he has actually experienced that. Wow. That makes such a difference, doesn't it? That he knows because he's lived it. Well, let's look at some losses that we go through. Here are just a quick list. Uh, Death. You know, when we think about grief and loss, we usually think about death. And certainly that's the greatest loss we can experience, the death of a loved one. But there's all kinds of other losses. Divorce, separation, ill health, unfulfilled dreams. That's a big one, right? We all have dreams in life. It's fun working with young people because you see the dreams that they have. And what they hope to get out of life. And that's the way it should be, right? you your 20s, the 30s, that kind of thing. And you're looking forward to the future. And wow, you know, you say, go. That's, that's the way God designed us. But then as time goes on, all of us have some unfulfilled dream. And we get to a particular age and we say, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I thought it would happen, but it's not going to happen. And we have to mourn and grieve over that. We need to go, to God. And say, God, why didn't it happen? Why didn't you give me those gifts that I wanted? Why didn't Why didn't you give me that opportunity? What do you have? You have to work through that with God in order to release it, and let it instead of letting it turn to bitterness, betrayals, abuse, failures in life. You know when you. When you make a mistake or you sin, and it impacts your life deeply and it impacts the lives of other people. There's a lot of mourning that has to go through. It has to happen in that in order to heal you. The bad choices of your kids. Whether it be teenagers or your adult children. That's hard. You love your kids so much. You want the best for them. And they drift from God. They... You know, and it, your heart breaks because you can't control them like you could when they were four or five. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, right. They're individuals, and uh, and you have to mourn over that. And missed opportunities. So, so how do we how do we respond to grief and loss? Well, here are some ways uh, we don't want to respond. Again, you can dismiss. Grief or loss, or you can embrace it, go into the morning booth and work through it with God. Uh, typical ways of dealing with grief and loss, denial. You see people do this all the time, right? Yeah, and it's no big deal. No, I, I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to process it, whatever. Minimizing, well, it's not that big a deal. I know it's tough, but you know they don't really own up to what's really happening. They minimize their emotions, all that type of thing. Blaming others, over-spiritualizing. Yeah, Jesus will watch over me and never, again, getting into the interior of life. Intellectualizing. This is a big one. People will come to me and they'll share a problem that they have. And then they'll throw a caveat in and they'll say, well, but I know that there are other people. I just heard about this other person. And you know what they're going through? You know, what they're, they're minimizing their pain. I say, wait, 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 wait a second. You're not that person. I'm sorry they're going through that, but I'm talking to you, okay? And your pain is real. And I don't care if it seems insignificant compared to whoever, but your pain is real and you have to work through it. Distracting. We'll talk about that in a moment. Becoming hostile whenever you bring up the issue uh, of grief about a particular issue, they become hostile because they don't want to deal with it. Medicating. This is a very common way that we deal with these issues. Uh, Addictions. Shopping. Pornography. Food. Alcohol. Drugs. And the list goes on in terms of what we can be addicted to. Another big one is just distracting ourselves. We don't want to deal with all the junk down here in our interior life, the griefs and the losses. So we just keep going. We keep moving. And uh, we're always busy. Uh, we're always listening to things. I think entertainment is a wonderful thing, great thing. But we overdose in entertainment. We've got you know, uh, 24-hour news, thousands of stations to watch, uh, we all kinds of movies. Uh, we've got our iPods. We've got our smartphones. And one of the reasons sometimes that we're so, in a sense, addicted to them is because it can always keep our mind busy. We can always focus, like on the news. I'm not going to think about my life. I'm going to think about other people's lives and what's happening out there. And we read People magazine. And you know. But we don't stop and take time to think and reflect and, and let God speak to us in silence and solitude about the real deal. Our lives. God's not concerned about anybody's life, but our lives when He focuses on us. And we've got to stop dismissing this stuff. And we've got to embrace it fully. And really, one of the core issues here is, is losing control. We don't want to lose control. We want to be in control all the time. But if you're really going to move through grief and loss, you have to let God have the control. Nicholas Walterstroff, a Yale professor, uh, his son died in a rock climbing accident, 25 years old. He wrote in his book, A Lament for a Son. He says, Eric, my son, was bursting with plans and now it's all gone. All the rich future he held, gone in those tumbling seconds. Nothing fills the void of his absence. He's not replaceable. We can't go out and get another just like him. There's a hole in the world now. In the place where he was, was, there is now nothing. Only a gap remains. Please don't say it's not really so bad because it is. I can only endure with Job. Endure. I do not know why God did not prevent Eric's death. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, makers of heaven and earth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also believe my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit these pieces together. I'm at a loss. To the most agonizing question I've ever asked, I do not know the answer. I do not know why God would watch him fall. I do not know why God would watch me. Here's a theologian. Somebody who has studied Theology and the Bible and should know all the answers. And he said, I I don't have an answer to this. It's a mystery. I don't know what's going on. And he absorbs the grief. That's, That's a critical thing is that we try to deflect the grief, but in sitting in the morning booth, we absorb the grief. We learn through the grief. Our lives will never be the same, but in a positive way, God is going to change us we need to learn to fall. We need to learn to lose or to experience loss and grief. There is a uh, man that uh, Scazzaro talks about, Phil Simmons, 35 years old, Lou Gehrig's disease, and uh, he wrote a book about learning to fall because he'd be walking along with a six-year-old child and he'd just fall because he couldn't control his muscles. And he realized that we all need to learn how to fall. We all need to learn how to go through difficult times. This is what he writes. I wish I could have learned this lesson more easily. Each of us is brought to the cliff's edge. At such moments, we can either back away in bitterness or confusion, or we can leap off the cliff into mystery. We hand ourselves over. We can participate in mystery only by letting go of solutions. This letting go is the first lesson of falling. And it is the hardest. We're a solution-driven society. We have answers for everything. We try to solve every problem that comes our way. But friends, that is not the way to live your life. You need to let go and fall into the arms of God and say, Lord, I don't understand this and I don't think I ever will. Just like... uh, a theologian, said about his son. It's a mystery. I can't figure it out. And I'm just going to trust in you because that's all I can do. That's the only answer. And that is so hard. That's the hardest lesson we'll ever learn in our lives. And sometimes it takes a lifetime to to learn that. We see the truth in John Chapter 12, verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So here's the point. You have yourself and you're a kernel of wheat. And you need to die to yourself in order for God to work through you. You need to die to your sinful self. And if you don't, You're just going to be you. If you continue to run from the morning booth and say, no, 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 I don't want to go there. I'm going to keep distracting myself and that kind of thing. You're just going to be a single seed. But if you you step into the morning booth time after time and you deal with it and you let God work through you, empower you, guide you, give you wisdom, insights. what, What it's going to do is it's going to plant seeds in your life. They're going to grow into the future. And it's going to continue to change you as a person. But if you continue to run from the booth, it's not going to help. You're not going to grow. But if you step into the booth and allow God to do His work, He's going to plant the seeds to make you a different person in two years, three years. Don't you want to be a different person? I certainly do. I'm tired of being me. I'll tell you that right now. I am tired of Dan Harrison. And the only way that God is going to change Dan Harrison is if Dan Harrison gets in the morning booth, does the hard work. Allows God to work through me. And I'll be a different person next year. I might like me a little better. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's the essence of this. So let's just take a few minutes and practice this important discipline of silence and and solitude. So I just want you to uh, pray with me here. I want you to uh, spend some time with God. I want you to visualize yourself there in that booth. And uh, you are in pain, and everybody has to have maybe one thing that they're mourning over. So think about what that is. Think about what that is. And then let Jesus into that booth. And uh, tell Jesus what's going on, how you're feeling. Start to do that work that needs to be done to transform your interior. Tell them about the pain and tell them about your broken dreams, and your marriage, your child, your illness. And spend a few minutes doing that. Thank <laughs> All right, now I want you to keep your heads bowed. And this is my challenge for you this week. I want you to spend 15 minutes a day in your morning booth. 15 minutes a day. And you do whatever you need to do there. Maybe you just need to journal for 15 minutes. You just need to get it all out on paper how you're feeling about this loss in your life. Maybe you're... I mean. Fifteen minutes can turn into an hour whatever, you know what I mean? But 15 minutes at the minimum to do this hard work. Maybe you want to cry for 15 minutes and weep. Maybe you want to read God's Word. Maybe you want to reflect upon the passages we've talked about today. Maybe you just want to sit there in silence and say, God, speak to me. What do you want me to learn through this? But do that. Fifteen minutes every day. And do that deep interior work that truly will change you because God will be with you. Lord, thank You for the time that we've had this morning. Such a rich and meaningful time. Very serious time. Uh, Lord, I pray for my friends, especially those who are really hurting right now. They're really broken up. And I pray that You would be with them in that booth. I pray that they would take that time. And so many times we think, well, I could spend 15 minutes trying to figure, you know, (laughs) how to to get past this or, you know, figure out how to fix my problems. But no, Lord, You want us to spend 15 minutes there because that would be much more profitable. Lord, Thank You that You meet us there. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for us to have a relationship with You because He obeyed You even when His human will said, I don't think so. Help us to obey as Christ did. In Christ's name, Amen. I want you to carefully listen to this next song. We're going to have our ushers come forward and we're going to gather our offerings. Carefully listen to this next song because it's all about God's faithfulness.